Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. This podcast presents the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to role-playing game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers and of Double Exposure with their amazing game design convention, Metatopia. Episode 134, It Takes a Village. Recorded at Metatopia 2016. Presented by Jason Pitt, Jeff Tidball, Stephen Tasker, and Darren Watts. Apologies for the sound quality issues in this episode. Say, fire away. We'll record what we said and anything for it. All right, that's we'll fair. Have more people on the internet than we have physically in space. That's fair. Uh, so yes, welcome to It Takes a Village, <laughs> a very small village, <laughs> a much bigger village. <laughs> Woo! Doubled in size. Yeah. We have achieved a one-to-one ratio. <laughs> that's what we wanted. Hello, welcome Hello. to the panel. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it takes a village. A panel about NPCs and how they can be used as a tool of design. Two more people coming. <laughs> My name is Jason Pitt, guys Civil and Publishing. I'm Jeff Tidball. I'm the CEO at Atlas Games and freelance for many other publishers. Steve Tasker, writer for Damocles Development. Darren Watts, uh, former owner of Hero Games and IPR, and now freelancer for a bunch of different game companies. So, one of the things that led to the proposal of this panel was the idea of the unexamined importance of NPCs in actual situations of play and how they tend to be underrepresented in a lot of the mechanical sides of game design. This all, from my personal perspective, this stemmed from running a campaign of Apocalypse World, where I somehow got every playbook of loners you can imagine. (laughs) And it was utter hell to try to bake in relationships, so as a GM, GM I had a voice I could use. I had sympathies, I had histories, and I had all those relationships necessary to actually make a coherent game. And then I, you know, woke up and realized, oh, this is a thing that actually should be baked into the games themselves. So, over all of my more recent designs, I'm baking in uh, football NPCs, uh, directly fitting into the setting itself, uh, and the relationships with the characters. And I've found it's produced dramatically better uh, results at the end, uh, end of the day. It's um, partially inspired by how the Dresden File City creation functions, in that the anchoring NPCs that represent the various locations are a fantastic tool for connecting people to the city and giving a firm sense of place as opposed to the uh, classic, I won't say murder hobo, but murder hobo problem. If you have it, anchors to uninvolved NPC third parties who actually have 
homes and jobs and families. Well, it turns out that makes for a much more coherent uh, gameplay experience in my in my experience. Is this the thing that you feel you need to have mechanical support within the rules set to actually be able to pull off, or is this does this devolve onto the GM uh, as you know, like something for them to provide for their own campaigns? I think that there is a there is a specific uh, label of NPC here that needs to be put in the game design. Right. Okay. And the GM, the GM with the players figures out what goes in on with that label. Um, I don't need to know the, the specifics about it, but I need to know that there is a person that is related to person A and person C. Right. Um, in classic LARP style relationship ways. Okay. Um, so, but I guess the question is, is is that something that you feel is the responsibility of the game? the rule set or whatever to provide or is that something that and it is kind of like in the end the final responsibility for that goes to the person creating the campaign where it sounds like it's that the game system is responsible for defining a hole right okay it, it, telling you information about what size the hole is right and then the GM is responsible for putting something in it yeah fair enough okay right um, and more the other thing is when that hole is hooked into bits of the setting hooked into bits of the of the uh, world writ large. That is an important thing in setting creation and setting communication. Um, if, for instance, you want to have a game with a lot of, we're dealing with dragon cults, saying, put someone connected to the dragon cult in your campaign is a very important thing. Right. Because otherwise, they're never going to interact with the dragon cults You'll have no excuse, and you'll have to put on, th keep throwing in cryptic clues on dragon assault, and hope that they go in that general direction. Sure. But if you put an actual tangible character they can interact with, it's a much easier way into the setting itself and the desired experience. Right. Play. So, like, uh, let me ask you. Go ahead. Sure. I feel like uh, 13th Age does uh, yes. a lot of what you're talking about yeah. because of the, with the, um, what are they, the Paragons? What I do they call them? The 13 Not Gods yeah, yeah. Um, are all built and they have like a stable personality. But I did, I played in like three of those games now. I did run into a problem in one, and I wonder how you would like address this, where the GM, it became a game of now we're going to look at how cool this NPC is. Because he is written very... Uh, the Crusader right. in that one. He's like a you know lawful anarch or lawful axiomatic uh, yeah. nutcase. Um, but he's written very interestingly. I didn't give him nearly enough credit right there um, as a character. But the GM kind of over, in many ways, overstepped into doing the player stuff. So how do you feel like you're supposed to navigate? I agree with you. You need you need tangible NPCs. You need NPCs who have wait, but how as a writer do you think you write an NPC such that they're not going to take away too much? The 13th Age does this in a very specific way in that they effectively say, say, look, here's all of these gods. They have influence everywhere, so you all have relationships to these super powerful and important people, so by virtue of that, you are super powerful and important. Great. 
Uh, my personal approach is to make them very human, or elfin, or whatever, um, and anchor them in daily life. Um, making a, uh, you know, fashion-conscious wear-rat who's judging people based on, because uh, clothes make the wear-rat. I mean, that's the kind of thing that is a compelling NPC that has an excuse to interact with people. Right. But it's not going to steal the show. There's flavor, but it's not, I happen to be a level 500 paladin uh, slaying demon. Right, I'm not actually solving problems yeah, yeah, for sure. the players. Or, yeah. 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 So, like, I'm wondering if this is an example of what you're talking about. Shadowrun has, or had, when I played it 15 years ago or whatever, super well-defined roles for those NPCs in the setting. Like, to the extent that one of them had a name that was Mr. Johnson. Right. right. Mr. Johnson is a Shadowrun-defined hole the person is in who shows up to dispense quests. Yep. And you have a fixer that you go mm -hmm. talk to so you can buy the guns that you need to go do the thing that Mr. Johnson said that you have to do. So is that like a good old-schoolish example of the kind of campaign-driving NPC hole that the setting creates? Uh, or yeah, that yeah, the yeah, setting yeah. mandates? Yeah, uh, yes, it does. Yeah, it is. The challenge there is because it's completely um, I want to say relational it's uh, transactional sorry. Mm -hmm. right it's purely transactional so it's job one are you going to kill me yes no done another job are you going to kill me right yes no and your, your only interactions with them are ones that are kind of like mandated by plot as right. opposed to right as opposed I, I think to... that's that's the sort of thing I mean like I, I you know, the, to give credit for it, it's you know, it's it, the kind of problem that uh, the hero system set out to solve with having complications and right. and you know uh, disadvantages by putting some of that responsibility on the players, right? right. Like you get a mechanical benefit when you, as right. Superman, introduce Lois Lane into the game, right. right? There is in fact an actual payoff to you as the player for doing that, and so there's a, there's an encouragement to have that kind of like story element in the game that has. A, a distinct mechanical benefit to the player, right. right? If my character is now more powerful because I took Lois Lane as a complication for this. Right. Um, not all games kind of like make that, make that relationship that explicit, but a lot of games do offer some kind of like mechanical support for the trade-offs of benefits of saying like, you know, here is the character that I'm like bringing in as a side you know, a, a, a right. side story to an explore a different kind of thing that's going on with it. Right. And it works the other way as well. If the character who comes in is particularly beneficial to you, is a sidekick or is like the guy that you leave at home guarding the lab or your team scientist or something like that for it, then you have in fact actually paid points uh, in your mechanics to have that character and therefore there's a there's there's a built-in kind of like incentive to make that guy useful, right? Oh, he yeah. cost me points. Therefore, I'm by God going to make sure he shows up in every story and does something to help me every time he does, right? I mean, that's just the you know like the way that oh, players' yeah. minds work when they're when they're when they're doing that, right? So, by making that kind of like transaction explicit on the character sheet for it, you can kind of like encourage, you know, like new avenues, uh, you oh, know, yeah. like new directions for like the story to go. Those characters are there literally as story hooks themselves, but they're player generated. Right. 
So. Yeah, oh yeah, player generated is super important if you want to get them invested. Right. Um, that that's usually the best way of creating the whatever goes in the box. Right. Um, I just the most useful GM tool I've discovered of, of late has been create boxes A, B, and C with characters and the they're all connected to each other. So whenever anything could destabilize any of these NPCs, it drags the triad off in that direction and it causes all kinds of ramifications and messes right. that all of the characters who are hooked into these various uh, NPCs have to pay attention to. Right. You know? Well, hopefully, I mean, ideally, all of your NPCs are sufficiently interesting to the players and they've bought in on them that just by putting them in danger or having them, you know, like involved in something or having them have some desires of their own that like instigate stories right. will bring them along yeah, yeah. for that. But like I said, if there is not necessarily an actual mechanical benefit, uh, you know, to the players, sometimes it's hard for them to see the purpose of, yeah, yeah. oh, my NPC has wandered off and gotten into trouble again. Boy, why did I ever bother to get that character, you know, in the first place? It's been nothing but a pain in the butt since I, you know, since I created her or whatever. Right, right. So. I mean, ideally you can get the players to like the character, eventually. You know, right, yeah. If you, if you brought forward a fully functional person who adds something to the group's core dynamic, they'll like the character. I, mean, I was running, uh, it was D&D, &D and they ended up... Uh, saving this guy's life. I had intended for him to die. Like in the in the very scene he was introduced. Um, and then he's still showing, he ended up showing up 17, uh, 17 levels later still because they were, they had saved his life and then continually kept working him into the story. So sometimes it can work really well when the players get any amount of investment in them too. Right. But that's, you you that's do a lot random. of like LARP design. I do. With this, yeah. so I mean, in that case, you've got mo many of your NPCs, and certainly your most important ones, yeah. are given the added significance that there's a person playing. Yeah. Right? That I mean, like, that once yeah. once a character has been represented by an individual in the game, there is a natural tendency to assume, oh, this character must be important, this character is doing a thing. Even though some of their role is constrained by the construction mm -hmm. of the LARP, it's still another person that you can go off and like have a conversation with and interact with. They seem more valuable that way. Right? So, something weird in LARP specific actually is, um, and I tried doing it at the table once and it was just really frustrating, but a uh, one accessory. If an, if an NPC, if I'm just playing an NPC and I you know, put down my papers and you know, I'm, I'm the, doing it as you know, being this head storyteller transforming into an NPC for a scene, if I don't put on or change my clothing in any way, then they don't care about that person. If I change, if I put on a hat, you know, a hat, and suddenly they're like, "Oh, this guy must be important." There was preparation. Okay. This guy has personality. You can tell. Look, it's a red hat. <laughs> like, right. and I noticed that it wasn't does, just. Does that still this apply at the table? Right. I mean, like make America how again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah. but so like that level of just like drawing attention to something. Mm -hmm. I mean, once again, that's if a, if that's happening at a tabletop game, if that's happening mm -hmm. at a traditional RPG for it. Okay, maybe I give this NPC a funny voice or something like funny that. Voice. A that. trait, or a trait of something like that. Mm -hmm. Once like again, that's still yeah, yeah. That's still the that's still the GM's responsibility for that, right? Like, how much is there? How much it is there that you can like bake into design right. that influences that? I mean, is it just as part of what you're providing in setting? You know, to like make your NPCs to help your GMs make NPCs interesting, um, or Blades in the Dark is fantastic for that. If you dig into um, a lot of the setting content in there, it's here's four words of evocative content. And right. um, for instance, uh, there's one character 
relationship. On one sheet, they're a prostitute. On the other one, they're a ghost that possesses people hopping from body to body. Right, okay. Yeah, so guess what's going on there? Right. You've just got a dramatic situation, and it's not going to be fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, as a beautiful example, the kind of thing that I do with some of mine, uh, because I'm totally stealing this all from Lark, because, yes, sure. it's technology. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got an NPC between each of us. Uh, each of us shares this NPC, uh, Rudolph, in common. Uh, now, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, sure. he's kind of a short guy. Yeah, yeah. He has a trait. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, just that fact that now we've got a stable interaction of three people who have an excuse to be at a bar at the same time, and that there's multiple NPCs hooked in, that single-handedly gives much stronger connections between you and I as the player characters. I think you're kind of glossing over, and I think you, you're thinking about it, but right. I'm not sure. Uh, then if you draw a connection between you two and Rudolph, then I as the GM can put Rudolph in danger, or cause Rudolph to be having a sale at his store, or cause Rudolph to be doing all sorts of things that then causes two previously unconnected characters. In LARPs, this is how you yep. start building. Like if everyone comes up with their own character and you don't get to pre- pre-arrange relationships, yep. uh, it's a cheap and easy way. Same way as like stealing, uh, having one character, one NPC steal from two players yep. is one of the best ways to cause um, camaraderie yep. to sort of gel up instantly. Right. It then causes me to be able to cause you two to be allies in a, in oh, a way yeah. at least. And, and when you're designing those characters and you're making those relationships, by defining those relationships, you're already starting wor- world building. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, if you've decided that Rudolph is the kind of like guy who is a thief and he's really good at it mm-hmm. and he's already stolen from two of your PCs, you're kind of like saying something about kind of like the state of, you know, lawlessness in your setting uh, that like somebody just you arbitrarily could beat on the street is that good at being a and thief. And the moral characteristics and the, of Right. Ex- well, also, right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but in those ways, I mean, like the you know, a good GM, I think, knows how to yes. portray world-setting information by you know by by personifying it into an NPC. Is there once again, is there uh, something you, a designer you, can do to help that? Yes, but how did you learn that skill as to be a good GM? Right, hard yeah. experience sure. or being taught in a book? Sure. And getting into the books hard. Uh, yeah. Um, one, the, the thing that I do to make it the next step over is stealing a, t- uh, a trick from Ryan Macklin. So I put uh, uh, Bobby's in the middle of the table, connected to all of us. We're at Bobby's funeral at the start of the play. Right, yeah. Done. Right. Yeah. Drinks everyone together. There. <laughs> That's a purpose-based NPC, which is, yeah, I think, oh, yeah, yeah. there's a difference Absolutely. a lot of times, I think, and it comes up a lot in LARPs where sometimes... Um, like because like you said you have a person play it you always want the same person to play it but sometimes you can run into issues where that person will become too connected to that character because there's a difference between purpose-based NPCs meant to um, accomplish a goal Mm -hmm. and then there's NPCs who kind of uh, make the world bigger and those NPCs in LARPs and sometimes even in tabletops you can sometimes get problems with them being too big or having too much uh, too much control they start becoming a PC of their own right. and then that's something that you always have to be kind of wary of um, as right. a GM that they aren't becoming a 
nexus point and then you either use that yeah yeah a gmpc and then you have to use that and then try and push them back to being a purpose-based npc maybe you know shuffle them off let them come back a little bit later right Um, but yeah i think i think the idea between purpose-based which is what you're talking about someone uh dies and that's what he's there for and then if he gets ascended to like an extra right uh as being a different type of npc but if i was writing like what you're talking about writing out how to do npcs exactly uh thing i would put as very clear would be purpose-based versus uh, world builder NPC. Right. Yeah. This, this character is here to, yeah. in, you know, to, to establish setting information right. just by representing a faction or a point of view or a, or a background or something that is of interest in the world, as opposed to somebody who's there primarily to instigate relationships between characters or, you know, foment a, a dissension between them or whatever it is, that their primary relationship is to the characters and not the world. Right. Right, okay. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and the relationship between PC and NPC, whether that's positive or negative, can have such amazing ramifications. So, for instance, Rudolph... I hate Rudolph's guts, but you love Rudolph like a brother. Now we've got a really fun dynamic going on here because you're trying to get Rudolph out of the jam and I put Rudolph in that jam because curse you, Rudolph. Right, that works for a specific kind of game. Yeah. Right. But, but not for others Right, at right. All. But being aware that those are levers... Uh, means that for the games where it works, it's good, and for the games where it would hinder, you can uh, consciously avoid using those and consciously avoid setting up. Like, never put a negative relationship in these places because it will cause problems that will be run contrary. We're doing a team group-based thing, so we really don't want grudges going on because we have to be a cohesive group. We're behind enemy lines, and this would just mess up the dynamic of play. Right. Or it's not what the story is yeah, about. Yeah, exactly, It'll interfere yeah. with telling the story that we are trying to play, right? Yeah. I do, I mean, a lot of what I write and what I run um, is supers and pulp and fairly cinematic science fiction. Yeah. And those are all pretty kind of like reactionary, reactive right. genres, right? Like the bad guys go out and do something, and then our job is to set it right, right? right? We didn't necessarily start this game with a large number of like ideals that we are necessarily out uh, you know, like searching for ourselves right. for it. We like the world as the way it is, and somebody has come along and messed it up, and now we have to like set things right, right? right. NPCs in that kind of setting serve different roles yep. than the kind of NPCs that you put in a game where we are a bunch of characters who are going out to change the world. Right, NPCs right. and action stores are the only people who have a plan. Right, yeah, NPCs exactly, right? Uh, the villains, right, right, exactly. The motivating yeah. force Villains of do the things and then heroes react. That's right. kind of, you know, like the, the, the story. That's it's a very Hans con- Gruber. It, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? It's, our, it's, right a conservative, it's a very conservative uh, uh, genre. You know, to write it, it presumes that things are okay the way they are and should be maintained that way, right? Whereas if I am a, in a group of fantasy heroes or whatever who have set out to overthrow the evil overlord or something, the NPCs that I'm encountering along the way are going to serve different purposes in the story, you know, inspiring me or thwarting me in my ways to, in my search to change things, whereas the NPCs in my story where I'm trying to preserve or return things to the way they were are going to represent different ideas but once again, that's all like built into the setting right. material that actually comes to them. When I write 
uh, NPCs for a superhero team, I usually have a second tier superhero who is my voice on the team, right? Because I want to be involved in those discussions and I want to have, yep, yep. you know, be able to like inspire interesting stuff. But on the other hand, I don't ever want to outshine the players that I'm playing with, right? Like they're the heroes and I am at best kind of like a sidekick, you know, for them. On the other hand, we're a group of superheroes. I don't want to be so weak and useless and so much like Robin or Aquaman or kind of thing where I'm always getting captured where they feel like they have to protect me, right? Because then I'm a burden on the team as opposed to, that could be fun occasionally, but most of that gets pretty tiring for a group of superheroes to, you know, like have a member that they keep having to rescue all the time. So there's a, you know, there's, there's a fairly thin margin of like where those characters can fit, that kind of like GM mouthpiece character can fit into a team right. without taking away the spotlight from the heroes, but also without like adding burdens to their lives. Right. You know. So what would happen in those situations if you didn't have a mouthpiece? Uh, I'm super well, yeah, no, it's, that's yeah. not really a strategy that I have it's, used as a GM. There is, especially once players have played together for a long time, there is kind of like an assumed level of like relationship between them, and it's very easy for them to kind of like all fall on one side of an issue because they so have some experience. Like, so Mai's got to be the character. Exactly. Maybe there's the voice. <laughs> right, to remind them that there are other options or something like Not that, right? Sure. Like those characters kind of like serve as like the contrary. But just a moment. Like, <laughs> what if... You know, some other thing. Like, that tends to be the role that they play in, you know, in my games for it. They also, you know, serve, like, a mechanical purpose of, like, somebody's got to stay behind in the lab and, like, work on the cure to the plague while we're out fighting the villain, right? I mean, there's, you know, there there's a very kind of just, like, mechanistic narrativism, like, that they actually serve for it. But when they're, when I'm using that character as a mouthpiece in a campaign is almost always Guys, to Commander disrupt Lightbulb is talking. Right. This must be relevant. <laughs> right. It's it's to well it's to disrupt their standard patterns of doing things, right? Once four or five people have played together for a few years, you know, they have set ways of doing things and it is interesting and valuable to disrupt those every so often. Right. So that, that, that's uh I call it the uh, NPC that people feel eh about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like in uh in my game right now the players are playing um you know they're the heroes chosen by, there's 108 different heroes, and there are five of these heroes who are chosen to save the world. Right. Um, but at this point, they've started to realize how bad the situation is, that one of their allies that they kind of feel, eh, about, is a world-destroying monstrosity from another universe that's a giant slug. It's Lavos, if anyone's and ever played Chrono Trigger. Well, right. they're, eh, <laughs> they're working with it, and it was their idea to work with it. So, but giving them those sort of weird moral choices with NPCs, because seeing for big NPCs, usually like the villain types, um, I think it's fun to see what they represent, or even just what do they represent. Like you know, I ran a game once where I, I realized uh, all the players told me uh, half like right at the end point that oh, so the villain's right. All these people that you've designed in this society are awful people. And they deserve exactly what the villain's getting. He's just kind of a jerk. <laughs> like, yeah, like, right. um, so knowing what they represent to your world, I think, is also really right. Really yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the other the other purpose that that kind of character serves is oh, here's this plot thing that I couldn't convince anybody else to include in their background. Right. Right. Uh, and yeah. I really wanted to do the story <laughs> that involved talking gorillas, and I couldn't by God get anybody <laughs> to play a talking gorilla in this game. So I'll play one as an NPC just no to one make ever sure. Wants to play a talking gorilla. Everybody wants to play a talking gorilla. <laughs> First of all, that was a bad example because that's when I can't stop my players. 
from being Captain Gorillas. <laughs> but nevertheless, the, you know, like whatever it is, there was like something that I felt was, you know, interesting or entertaining. That's kind of like the GM sop of, you know, just right. like, you know, I will find this more interesting if this happens. And none of you guys, it doesn't really fit any of your characters. So I will slide in a character, at least for a little while, for whom this is important to make sure that it gets some airtime. Yeah. I mean, I'm a Marvel junkie. So I love the narrative tool of, well, oh shit, Magneto's helping us this week. What the hell? Right, yeah. Oh, he, he, he plays chess with Charles. And right. he has lines. Sure. <laughs> but like, that's the kind of narrative tool with an NPC that is super interesting. Right, yeah. And disrupts everything. Right. It's like, this week we're not killing each other. Next week, well, those bones would look better outside of your body. Right, yeah. Yeah. Or like Deadpool in the current ones. Yep. Uh, in the right. current ones. And the I'll role of Magneto in the story varies wildly depending on whether a PC or NPC or the GM is playing him. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, like, when Magneto is the villain or is, in fact, like, you know, the guy standing apart from the team causing all these troubles, he's incredibly active and can do just about anything and is, like, this enormous threat. And as soon as you bring him within the team, he becomes neutered. Right? I mean, it's like he, you can't have him be that disruptive anymore, you know? And so, like, by giving him agency within the group to, like, be part of that group, you are taking away, narratively, a lot of his story power. Right. right? So, so that annoys the crap out of me. It does. But that's, <laughs> but it's, it's completely natural for that to happen yeah. in the story because this isn't the story of Magneto and some other guys he knows. This is the story of the X-Men, and so everybody's got to get some, you know, get some screen time, so... I always feel like that's kind of lazy, though, because you could have Magneto be, like, not the fucking, or, oh, shoot, um, the M asteroid. Uh, yes, watch your language, Mr. Asker, please. <laughs> language. <laughs> I've been trying. Um, man, I teach. It's hard when I'm not in class. Um, right. Like, not raise the asteroid. <laughs> not raise the asteroid powerful, but, like, uh, they had him uh, summon that bullet back from that shot Kitty Pride off into space. Like, I still want that character when he becomes good when i see a heel face turn as a pc but i want that heel to still be powerful because i want to feel like i got something on my incredibly hard to write i know right i mean that's why those characters continue to get written out of stories over and over again getting back to you know kicking thor out of the avengers because they couldn't like make any sense of how to tell a story where hawkeye had anything to do (laughs) right i mean that's just you know yeah (laughs) <laughs> right? I mean, it's... it's. I, I completely sympathize with that problem, you know? Yeah. So... Look, guys, Hawkeye's in the union. He gets to, he do, gets to do a thing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come no on now, everybody. Give, him a, give him a chance. It's right. in the contract. Verily. Oh, right. Oh, right. It's Hawkeye's turn. All right, so we've been chatting up here for a bit, unless, Jeff, you had no, kind of, like, I'm... been cut off for a moment there for it. Uh, so do you guys have, like, actual questions you want to throw well, in about this? What you want to hear this? about this? And right, apart from, like, getting out of the cold, basically. Uh, we're actually thinking about running a... We're using Pitch's Back, uh, a game. It's a more than role-playing game. Okay. As almost like a... As a podcast. As a live play. Right, but okay. using the world as main character pretty much and pretty much doing one shots with individual stories with characters to tell the overall story of the world and how it develops. So it's true play for your players basically? They have they each are playing multiple different characters yes. over the course so of the run? Right, okay. So the players are gonna have a main character 
and two NPCs that are like their um, support, support characters. characters, but everyone is gonna kind of have shared control over them. Right. Okay. So this is we want to know more about how you would develop NPCs in that manner. Right. So you're talking about like these these varying both power levels and kind of like agency levels, right? Because, yeah. I mean, you've got like some core people who are out there changing the world and affecting yeah. the world and their friends who like, are, you know, occasionally are doing some stuff on the sides, mm-hmm. right? And so most of the time, those support characters will be run by the GMs. Yes. And then only when story calls for it, they get like picked up by a player, yes. right? So how do you keep those players, how do you keep those characters interesting enough that the players want to play them? And here's the thing, part of, part of the reason I really wanted to know is the idea that when you're making the characters and you're making these support characters, you have to keep in mind your character can die at any time. Right. So some of these characters might be the next character you're playing. They might get promoted. Yeah. Yeah, right. It, it kind of leaves it where you also want to protect them maybe from the other players. And some of, some of what the other players are up to because they might try to take out one of your support characters just because, you know, like. Right, okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that this situation goes to what you would hope for for all PCs and PCs, even outside of games, is that every character's got to want something and has got to be having trouble getting it. Right. So that they could be legitimately thought of as the protagonist of their very own story. And I, the, the best NPCs are like that, whether it's Rudolph, who is not of any particular use to our to the story we might be telling this campaign, but like it is easy to imagine that Rudolph's story number one is he's the fucking hero of that, and it's all about right. what Rudolph needs and what Rudolph wants. And Rudolph so, was an orphan, and it's all your fault that Rudolph I, is an orphan. I, I feel worse. super guilty about that. that. I he's short. That's what he gets. Um. <laughs> but but so if if especially in a case where you're talking about where those supporting characters could get promoted to primacy at any time, it is doubly important that they be narratively interesting and that they have something that they want desperately and that they're having trouble getting because they could become right. a protagonist at a moment's notice. Right. Now, how much are the individual players each creating these support characters as yeah. well as they're doing it? So they're basically, like, yeah. they're basically designing a set yeah. of characters. So everyone's pretty much sharing their creation Oh, so like the the so you've got three players and six support people. Those six support people were made by the three together. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Okay. So there's some level of which you know that that so that kind of like interaction of like which which higher level character they're connected to can vary. Have to be connected to right. But can they be connected to more than one of them? Yes. Right. Okay. So right there, that's you know that that's a first element to look at of like how can we make these guys interesting and you know make sure that like when the story when the spotlight does fall on them they've got something interesting to do they may have conflicts between the higher level characters over their love their loyalties their relationships with them or whatever Man, so a super interesting place to start with that would be to stipulate that the supporting characters could give shit one about what the primary characters think yeah like, and right make the primary characters come to to attempt to convince those characters to help them and to work hard to overcome that obstacle. Right, right? Yeah, if they're exactly. just spear carriers and whatever, that's less interesting than if we have to beseech them to help us. Right, even if they're lower power, they've still got something that they want. There's yeah. still something that the higher level characters don't have, you know. 
that and, uh, that that makes them relevant. And also having have some conflicting relationship dynamics going on within that pool of six. And it's just like, yeah, these three hate these three because Catholic Protestant. There, just, just so when you want to make things interesting, yeah, why are they knifing each other in the alley? Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, we should probably get them to stop doing that. Yeah, we probably should. Uh, like, how much, that sorry, how, mu- how much, uh, you know, how much input into the setting of these do the players have, or is this a thing where you've like presented them with a pretty complete world the, to start the out world with? Is pretty much complete, but you do have some some input on what, you, like, if you have input, and, like, if it's gonna make something interesting in the story, right? Then, yeah. Right, so if I, I can create a character in this, let's say he belongs to a faction or a guild that you didn't have already in your world, and I can also define that faction or guild or whatever yeah. as part of that process. Well, that, once again, right there, once you've given the players that level of agency, that frequently gives them something to, like, buy in, because yeah. this is the part this is the part I made. Already I'm interested in it, right? Like, I, by making it, I'm showing the GM that this is a thing that I want to have featured yeah, in the game. That was, so. that was the, the goal, to try and get Sure. They build their characters, their side characters mostly. Yeah. So you sound them. like you've already got this figured out. What do you need yeah. us for? You you should be on the next I, step panel I, here I for this. More okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, yep. Also, status games. Rank them. Highest status to lowest status. Right. Yeah. Just that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the advice I would give to you, if I was you giving advice to your players, I would say responsibilities. For those guys, why mm-hmm. they're not coming with you? Because it's Nick Fury, and Nick Fury has crap to do. Um, or Uber specialization. Yeah, this guy is the best at what he does, and what he does is this one thing. Um, are both always what I find are really interesting NPCs if they're going to be with the players at all, like his right. uh, cohort style exactly. NPCs. I yeah, I may not be as powerful as the rest of the team, but I am by God the best lock picker that this group yeah. has. Yeah. And there's yeah. a lot of locks in this story. Right, so it's you know, I have plenty of opportunity or to show somebody who, for instance, may be their role in the group. But let's say they're the armorer in the group, but they come from a different culture. Yeah, and the story involves that culture, so you right bring them along on this adventure because it's a secondary trait of theirs that makes them important for them. Absolutely, not just the main. Shit, we have to talk to a fish. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, and let them be good at it too. Like the one thing that annoys me, uh, or one thing that uh, annoyed me in a campaign once, was we went to go get a demolitions expert, and uh, the GM was like, "Yeah, you find this guy." And we we had several scenes where we had to go and acquire this guy, um, and to make him into an NPC. And we were talking to him. We finally get to the thing he has to do. <laughs> he's worse than like three quarters of the party. At actually setting explode. He's like, well, he's an NPC. He can't be as good as the PCs. Let the NPCs be good at the things you say they're good at. They make them have that purpose that he's there. Right. Now, now, with that being said, um, do you still give the NPCs the same amount of chance of failure? Is that the case? Like you're saying, let them be as good as the, as the PCs. But, like, for example, in this, in this game, like, it could turn on you and die. Sure. Sure. Oh yeah. If 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 they fail because they failed at doing something that like was they were still supposed to be the best at, right? If they like you know had this, I succeed on doing this on a you know eighteen or less, but I rolled a twenty or whatever. Then okay, you're you know, that's that's dramatic. That's the point of having dice yeah. there at all. And but, at a certain point, he's, oh, he keeps failing his lock picking rolls. Oh, he's drinking on the job. 
Oh, yeah, right. That's the thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Hawkeye can shoot the wings off of a fly, but he doesn't hit every time, so. Right. You know. Any other interesting questions on the scale of NPCs? So, I completely get this from the game master's And I know I'm doing a lot of these things already, and I completely see now that I'm playing a bunch of stuff to games that I'm doing. Right. I have a hard time wrapping my head around the idea of writing this in and designing this in something that was The closest thing I can come to, maybe because Darren's on it, is uh, enemy books. Right. Or, you know, about a fox man. We have entire books that are just of NPCs that aren't even bad guys for it, right? Of, of you know, here's some stats for champions is great for that. Yeah. I think it is very much more today than it has ever been and it's, a, it's an increasing kind of like factor in it to have a certain amount of kind of like editorial transparency about that sort of thing. I think that many of the best RPG products that are out there and have been for the last few years are very explicitly in dialogue with the GM about this character serves this purpose, right? Like this character is here to do this thing or, you know, if your, if your campaign goes in directions X, Y, or Z, you may find it useful to bring in this character kind of thing. Like, you know, to make those kind of GM choices and decisions very explicit as to, you know, within a, within a setting book or within a rule book for it to make that very plain you know. Yeah. Will and I did a lot of that in Eternal Lies. In Eternal Lies. I was just thinking of that as an example Look, of it. GM, right? here is what this NPC is for, and if the story goes this way, right. this is how they might show up. And we there's a bunch of if, if your PC NPCs. group, Yeah, if your PC group includes somebody who is already doing this, you probably don't need this NPC. But at this point in the story, it would be a good idea to have a character who does X, and if you don't have one, here is one for you that you can insert into the story at this point. Well, you guys becomes, make that really explicit. It becomes almost even easier to do it when it's in a published piece of material because you already know so much about what that adventure is going to be. So you can plug those NPCs right into the needs of that story as opposed to knowing that we've got Rudolph, but we don't know very much at all about what we're going to be doing otherwise or how we might be related to our needs for transit, which is why we have a pilot. Or the fact that we're going to be in the jungle, which is why we have a guide. or three different guides to choose from. One of the things in Eternal Lies is that the PCs have to go deep into the jungle of the Yucatan to a thing. And one of the initial things in that section of it is they've got to choose between these three different guides. One of which will... Spoilers. Betray <laughs> them or not, or whatever, right? right. But, and, and it's very explicit with the GM about what those choices mean outside of what they will mean dramatically inside the right Pilgrade in general does a fabulous oh, job sure. with that with their with their characters working, working <clears throat> a lot more easily into a campaign or an adventure uh, but like with the enemy's books those aren't specific to Right, but they're like yeah no they're not specific to it but most of them do include at least in their descriptions 
the ideal, you know, like the, the what their purpose serves so, in the story, right? Even if they're not tied to a specific plot. So I think you mentioned this early on, Jason, where in Dresden Files RPG, factions, organizations, and, and even locations always have a face. Yeah. Which is how PCs interface with that faction or organization. You usually do it through a character, a particular NPC, to give it that sort of personalized... This, this person is associated with this. Right. Um, in a setting file or something, right? Like, like the Forgotten Realms campaign guide. Oh, well, the Purple Dragon Knights, right? I'm gonna... Is it... Here's how, you know, Sir Seppin, the, the, the noble Purple Dragon Knight, could potentially be, re be related somehow, not, not necessarily a relative, but, but could tie into your PC party, maybe. I, I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah they, they turn it actionable. They turn abstract concepts into characters which are easier to interact with. So, but does it, would that get old? Like, if, like if, if I had to have 20 different NPCs in this book, coming up with 20 different ways that each one of them could be, you know, grappling with the party might get repetitive or, or ridiculous. Uh, or yeah, but. So they need the general guidelines of, hey, if you have an NPC... Make an NPC that does blah function. Right. Right, Here's yeah. Um, it's tough to come up with 20 different ways in which you really need that much variation between them. Right? Yeah. Some of those 20 can just be solved with a character who's got a name and a skill rating, yeah. and he's done. That's really all you need to inform in the first place. Perhaps his name is optional. Right, yeah, yeah. exactly, right, of, of whatever it is. Just, um, you know. I'd like to actually... And, and uh, you know, like, to, to present them as, you know, in, in both genders and, or, you know, right, whatever, right. you yeah. know, kind of thing for it, and just say, this, you know, like, the, the heroes hire a pilot at thus and so place, who gets them there and then waits for them to come back. Okay, Let's that, call that's him 3D6 flying. Right, exactly, yeah, yeah, right? I mean, that's not really, you know, so so it's, I, I would, it's, it's a pretty it's complex character, a pretty complex story to require 20 characters <laughs> who all have more depth than that. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, so. Um, so I'd actually like to highlight a specific <laughs> game that does a really interesting uh, bit of work with NPCs. Uh, so Headspace by Green Hat uh, Designs has uh, conceit. You had six operatives who are hooked up with a neural link to share skills and all other things. There's a maximum of five players. Three to five players in each session. That means that there's always at least one of them that's been killed. It's a ghost NPC that's bouncing around their heads uh, that they can constantly interact with. Right. So it's just this carried over bit of history. And just that forces a lot of really interesting dynamics uh, and accounts for, you know, interesting... And the players are responsible as a group for creating the ghost. Exactly. Right. So... And that's the kind of way that you can make it run to the system. Um, in more than here for this adventure, we need a 3D6, 3D6 flying. But even 3D6 flying... Um, he should be, I think something you're asking is how do you create compelling, like I think something that was in the question that you asked was how do you create compelling, how do you write how to create compelling NPCs? Was that something that you're asking about? No, it was, it was the thing about writing it into something that any one of a thousand groups could be playing just as part of your own campaign. Right, right. Really, or it, it would be easier if the story's set. Like if you're running a campaign or a story, kind of know the direction the party is going. Writing it into a system 
Right. Man, right. I would almost rate that. Thinking out some roles before you decide who goes into where. I would write that book Chinese menu style, yeah. where you've got like 20 specialties and 20 reasons they won't help you, <laughs> and then mix and match them however. 3D6 flying won't fly, because he's only drinking now. And so that's right, yeah. a completely different interesting thing right. from 3D6 Whereas, flying won't help you now, because he's, a racist. he's chained yeah, in right. prison, right. or chained in prison is this guy we need to blow up our stuff or whatever but I think organizing them by their by the reason they won't help you or the reason it's challenging to get their help and and or a third column of it is an adjective description of they are one of those great old timey D&D you know like collections or whatever yeah. right yeah that was just like a collection of like stat lines you know and then like two adjectives about them or whatever right and their name and like what, what they were for or whatever done as a separate product and it's just like oh well we'll D100 and see which NPC actually shows up but right? if the basic that, organizational structure of that flows well no from, that's what I'm saying like from, make, make yeah. that more modernized obviously yeah, yeah, but yeah. it still has a grand old tradition in gaming of doing things like that so yeah but you could even do that instead of writing up Stefan the Purple Knight Commander. You could write up, here are ten, uh, you know, reasons why Stefan won't help you, ten personalities for Stefan, right. and ten, like, what Stefan does in his spare time, just to give him that, you right. know. And one stat line. And, and the stat line. Yeah, or right. leading questions about Stefan. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. yeah. Right. So, yeah. GM, ask one of these leading questions to your PC. Exactly. Done. Yeah. Or leading yeah. statements. Stefan is one of your cousins Stephen or whatever. Stefan just stole something out of your room. Out of your, yeah. What's what, missing? What's missing? Right, yeah, there you go. Exactly. Oh, that would be hysterical, right? What's missing from your room? What? <laughs> no, just tell me. <laughs> there will be interesting follow-up, my friend. <laughs> uh, no, that's good. But, yeah, thank you very much for coming. It was yeah. an interesting discussion. Thank you all for showing up. Yay! Yay!